In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. I don't know the answer to this, but I'll share. I like to network with other pastors of other church traditions. Um, my motivation, I, I'm kind of introverted, so it's hard for me to kind of go out and like, especially before COVID, they would get together uh, like for, for lunch on Wednesday. Like I, 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 I did it. But I, I, I wanted to network mainly for one reason, and this is kind of bad, but I wanted to see if any other church is going to go for sale. That's kind of why I wanted to connect with them. I wanted to see if any other church is going to go. Because if I, built, if I built a network, then I felt like if they were talking to me, they'd say, well, hey, Nathaniel, you mentioned you guys are looking for a church. You know, what, you know, you know actually, you know, our congregation has diminished, or they started going to other churches, so forth and so on. I'm like, and then I'll be, I mean, that's my dream. I mean, that's kind of my motivation to, to, to now it's Zoom meetings, but I'm saying, like, I, I, that's the thing. And then thanks to Marina, she, offered, she suggested a book to me to read. I think it's called Dream Big, and, and I started reading it. And then the book was saying, networking is not good. That's his, his, he was saying, we shouldn't network. As Christians, we should extend genuine, authentic love and friendship with everyone. Network, in essence, if I say I'm networking, what is it? Even in the corporate world, networking, you're trying to get something out of it. Let's face it, right? You're networking to get something out of it. So, he's saying, so he was saying in the book, we shouldn't just uh, network to get something out of it. We should come with a genuine, unconditional, sacrificial love for, to, to, to spark a genuine friendship. That's it, with no agenda. Again, I'm saying this, I don't know what the answer is because I'm gonna continue to network with these pastors, but it just made me start thinking, what is my, what's my motive? What's my agenda? And it made me start thinking of every friendship, of every encounter, of every service. Am I really just calling this person just to pat myself on the back? Look at me, I'm a good person. I started assessing what is my agenda on various things. Today's gospel. If you were around Jesus 2,000 years ago, you would love, even if you weren't bought in to him being the divine, maybe you can't, maybe that's too much to absorb, you would still follow him. I would still follow him 100%. Why? Because wherever he went, you would see supernatural events. Wherever you went, you got a free fish sandwich. So you would definitely be following him. I guarantee that. But as people started following Jesus more and more, Jesus said, guys, you, okay, you went, you got on a boat, you went out of your way to follow me, but you, you don't get it. You don't get it. You've lost sight. It's, it's not about the fish sandwich. You're only coming to me because you want something out of me. The only reason you pray is because you want something. Do you want me? Do you desire to connect with me on an intimate, personal level? Do you want to know who I am? Or are you just following me because you want someone to feel better? Or you want a free lunch? Or you don't want to pay for lunch outside? That's why you're coming to me to get a free sandwich again. What, what's your motive for following? He's like, you're coming for temporary food and maybe curiosity, but I, I'm using all of that as a platform. I'm, all, I'm using all of that as a prerequisite. I'm using all of that to transcend into eternal nourishment, into divine nourishment. I'm, I'm, I'm using all of this to point to something so much bigger. And, it kinda, and, and, and that's kind of the essence of today's gospel. Again, one of the most beautiful things of our ancient faith is that we can look at not only at these manuscripts, which were in the Bible and other, ex uh, 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 and other manuscripts, we can look at how the early church 
commented on it? How did they meditate on it? How did they digest this gospel? How did they, how did they absorb this? For Jesus to say, do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures for everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you. How did they interpret that? Like, how did they absorb that? How did they execute on it? What did that mean to their lives? Was, was it to them just, oh, you know, this is a nice Sunday gospel. It makes me feel warm and fluffy. That's why I'm here. I'm, I'm here for eternal food. What was their interpretation? I want to share with you an interpretation, a commentary, commentary by, uh, by, uh, by an early Christian by the name of St. Augustine. He comes from Algeria, and he said these words. How many there are who seek Jesus only to gain some temporary benefit? One man has a matter of business in which he wants the assistance of the clergy. Another is oppressed by a more powerful neighbor and flees to the church for refuge. Jesus is scarcely ever sought for Jesus' sake. One more time. How many there are who seek Jesus only to gain some temporary benefit? How many, how many people purely seek Jesus for who Jesus is? And he gives two examples. He's like, some people come because they have like an issue with their business and they want the priest to kind of like figure things out. Another person is somehow getting oppressed by, by his neighbor. I'm not sure what the deal's going on there. And he flees to the church because, like, I guess his life is, is, is at stake. Obviously, it's a different time. But these are the different analogies that St. That Augustine is giving. He's like, people, like, how many people go to Jesus just for Jesus' sake? How many of our prayers, maybe you wouldn't even use the word prayer, how many times do we just come and talk to God? Even if our faith is not even there, and we say, if there is someone up there, help me with this, help me with that. Even if prayer is a powerful weapon in your life, how many of us come and talk with him just to talk to him? How many of us come and spend time in his presence and embrace his love just for embracing his love? I'm speaking, I'm the guilty of the first person. I easily fall into a trap, time and again. I want to read, I want to, to, to learn more about a subject in order for a sermon. I'm just wanting to, to learn so I can be able to, to, to that, that something that might be beneficial to the sermon. How many times do I want to read and pray and talk to God just for wanting to talk to Him? No agenda, no nothing. I don't need anything, I don't want anything. I just want to talk to Him. If I asked you, how many of you just talk to God? Of course, all of us would say, yeah, I talk to God. He's my father. So I come and ask. That's fine. I want us to do one thing, just one thing today. Assess your prayer. Analyze your prayer. Again, maybe you don't use the word prayer. Assess how you talk to God. For those who are streaming and maybe you don't even know where to begin in, in prayer. You don't even know what that looks like. But maybe when you are hopeless and you're in your car or you're trying to sleep and you just say, if there's anyone up there listening, help me with this. Maybe that's the assessment of your prayer or communication with God. Assess it. Analyze it. I want us to restructure our prayer, our desire, through the lens of a sojourner. Restructure your prayer, your desire, through the lens of a sojourner. What I mean by that? Sojourner, at least for me, I only hear it in the context of church. What is the word sojourner? 
We pray it liturgically, and I'm, I'm, I'm bringing the word up now. Sojourner is someone who's here for a temporary visit. Sojourner, this is not their permanent home. They're just visiting. They're, they're a tourist. That's what a sojourner. If I restructure my prayer through the lens of a sojourner, of a tourist, somebody that's here for a temporary visit, this changes everything. This changes my optics to how I view hardships, how I view pain, how I view career, how I view finances, how I view every aspect of my life. It changes everything when I have that optics for me to restructure my prayer, my desire through the lens of a tourist. If I'm single and I'm praying for me to get married and I'm, and I'm losing hope on this, if now, if I restructure my prayer, instead of saying, I'm, I need to get married, I need to get married, I need to get married, uh, married I need to hurry up. I'm feeling tremendous pressure from every angle. Instead of me looking at it from that angle, if I restructure my prayer, restructure my desire, saying, Lord, marriage is one mystery that you have entrusted us with that can be for my edification. If this mystery is going to be for my edification, make it crystal clear and please open that door ASAP. But if it's not your will, Make it clear to me. If this is a tool for my edification, then make it clear to me. I'm coming desiring that prayer, that desire for my edification that, will, that, that can aid me into entering the, the, the kingdom of heaven. If I look at it through that way, that changes everything. That changes everything. Because married people, we get it. It's tough. It is for our edification because it takes work. Maybe God has other tools for someone else who is single. But that person can still pray for, for being married. But now the lens of how they view it is completely different. Why? Because now they view it as them being a tourist. Parents, we want our kids to behave. I want my kid to behave. You want your children to continue to grow up and be mature, godly citizens in America, contributing to society and continuing to pursue the love of God. You want that. But now instead of my prayers for my kid to be, I want them to make friends at school. I want them, that's, say, that's, that's a prayer when you have a four-year-old. But depending on the age of your kid, you pray, you want them to do good, good grades. You want them to go into college. You want them to whatever. You want them to have a good career. Instead of that being the lens of perspective of your prayer, of your desire, if I restructure it, Lord, what, make, give me clarity to cheer on my child for them to see their own gifts that you have given them. Allow me to cheer them on to see the personality, the strengths and weaknesses that you have instilled in this person that I have been entrusted with. I didn't, I didn't create this, this child. I've been entrusted with this, with this child. I, I, give, me, give me courage and strength and, and, and give me seasoning to my words of how I can cheer on and guide this child to know what is his role in this temporary world. Now that changes everything. That changes everything of my prayer. Now it's not about a test and uh, you know, uh, uh, getting into a college. It's completely, who cares about that? Who cares about that? You should, should we pray for it? Absolutely. But now if I can put it into the context of the lens of being a, a, a sojourner, that changes everything. That changes everything. You know this, none, none of this is new. But I'm making this clear to me and to you. It's because we live in a world that's driven by other things that, 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 that say, I need to make my sure my, my kid does, does this. I need to make sure that I get married. I need to whatever. It, we're pushed, 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 pushed in this direction. And we lose sight on how to even restructure. What's a healthy optics of how I should even put this desire into prayer? If I restructure my prayer and desire through the lens of sojourner, 
This is what allows me to see God in a new way. Let me give two logical, silly examples to drive this message home. I, I love going to Disney World. I haven't gone because of COVID, but I'm saying I love going to Disney World. We'll get an Airbnb and stay at an Airbnb place. And then you, you know, you're all day at the park and you come back completely exhausted and you go back and do it again. That's, you stay at an Airbnb in Orlando. Imagine, imagine if I go to an Airbnb in Orlando and you know, I'm, I'm opening up the cabinet in the kitchen, which you're just there for a few hours, just kind of just a place to rest. And I open it and I see that there are pink cups. And I say, I didn't want pink cups. I'm gonna open my app right now and believe a horrible review. Why is there pink cups in the kitchen at this Airbnb? If I told you that I got so frustrated and I, I was saying, why God, why is there pink cups in the kitchen? If I told you that was my prayer, you would think I'm silly. But because you would say, hello, Nathaniel, you're just there for a little bit. You're just there to go to Disney World. You're just finding a place to rest. Who cares about the color of the cups? For, are you for real? You're here to see Mickey Mouse. Who cares about the cups? This is what you would tell me. But this is how we approach so much of, of our life desires and issues and pain. We get so stuck at a, at a 1,000 foot level when we're designed to see things at a 30,000 foot level. Imagine, another silly example, if I go to Costco, Obviously, there's somebody in the front, you know, checks your card, and if you don't have a mask, they give you a mask. I go in with my mask, but imagine I didn't have my mask on, and then I, and I go, inside, uh, and go inside Costco, and, and the, the person at the, the front sees my card, and then he decides to give me a whatever, a tacky uh, a princess, a Disney princess mask. And I would say, why are you giving me a Disney princess mask? Don't you see I'm a priest? You see how silly I'm going to look wearing it? Well, I'm just here just to get some chicken and walk back out. Why are you giving me a mask like this? What, what? It, it would sound silly if I caused a big issue just because of the color of the mask that would be going into Costco. We approach life like this. We approach our connection with God like this. Nothing wrong with saying I want a different color mask. Nothing wrong about writing a review about the pink cup. Who cares? You can do that. But are we connecting that to the bigger picture? Or are we so stuck on the low level of things? Prioritizing and centralizing eternal nourishment sets everything into place. Prioritizing and centralizing eternal nourishment sets everything into place. You see this all the time in people, where you see someone and you're, and you're like, man, are they for real so stressed about this? Are they for real like, you know, so concerned about this or that, about their, about their their career or their finances or their, or, or their children? Are they for real just concerned about that? We can see it in other people, but do we see it in ourselves? Do we see it in ourselves? It's easy to see it in someone else, but do we see it in ourselves? If I prioritize and centralize eternal nourishment, divine nourishment, this sets everything into place. This gives me clarity on what my prayer, my communication with my Heavenly Father looks like. Once that is put into place, once that is centered. Let me give you a few examples. Now I used to view my career as a way uh, to get money, a nine to five thing, in order for us to plan our next vacation and for me to give my kids X, Y, and Z. Instead of having that optics, now I look at it, okay, Lord, you have entrusted me with this career and you have opened a series of doors for me to get where I am. How am I going to act on what I have been given? What is my response to what I have been entrusted with to borrow? That, that, now that's a lens as a sojourner. Our marriage, instead of us looking at our spouse, be like, oh, 
Like, I'm, I'm done. This, this is not what I signed up for. Or like we both checked out and we just looked like roommates, but definitely didn't begin like that. If you look at your spouse and says, their issues, their pain, their sins, their weakness, my response to it is for my edification. That changes everything. What you desire for your children changes everything once you put on the lens of being a sojourner. Your finances look different. Instead of it being a status symbol or security in the midst of so much uncertainty that we want to hold on to it tighter because of so much uncertainty, instead of, instead of me looking at finances in that direction, if I look at it, I've been entrusted with this, how do I give this back to you? What is my responsibility? What is my divine role as a financial advisor to manage what I have been entrusted with? It changes how I view pain. The pain and hardship and stress in your life. If now I look at it as saying, this stinks. I hate this. Ain't nothing wrong with telling God that. But somehow, me being limited, you being unlimited, I don't understand. But this is for my edification. This is for my edification. How? Mechanism? I don't know. But this is for my healing. This pain, this issue. How do I respond? The constant is always going to be pain. But my, what's a variable is how I decide to respond to the pain. But if I look at it now, saying I'm a sojourner. Now in this temporary world, there's a tremendous amount of pain. I can't take it. I can't wait for the age to come. What is my response right now to this temporal world? What is my response to the pain that exists right now? That's what's in my control. Our second core value here at St. Mark Church is transcendent worship. Transcendent worship. And the description that we have for transcendent worship is that our prayer, personal and communal, liturgical, points us to something so much bigger. It's not about the sign of the cross. It's not about kneeling. It's not about uh, the, the censer. All of that is pointing to something so much bigger, which is abiding in eternal nourishment. All that's pointing to something so much bigger. There is a litany, which is a prayer. There's a prayer in the church called the litany, litany of the offering or litany of the oblations, which we pray for those who offer sacrifices to God. We pray for those who offer. You are coming, maybe with a little bit of energy, hungry, tired, but you offer to God what is in you. You offer that. Give, if I give something, I'm expecting something back. Offer is one way. You are offering yourself in order to find eternal nourishment. You are offering yourself. And I want you just to capture the language and the sentence structure and the verbiage the church uses as we pray for those who offer to God, which is you and me. Listen to that, how the church prays. So also receive, we're saying praying to God, receive the thank offerings of your servants, us. Receive our offering, us, your servants, those in abundance, those have, that are offering tremendous amount, bless them. Those that have a scarce amount of offering, also bless them. Those offerings that they offer, which might be hidden, nobody knows except them and God, and those who are manifest. For example, what's a manifest offering are those, are the deacons, are the ones who make the bread. My, offer, my offering is manifest. Do you see it? But there are tremendous amounts of people in the body of the church that give hiddenly, in a hidden way, and they offer in such a beautiful hidden way. We continue. We pray for those who desire to offer to you, but they got nothing. And those who have offered these gifts to you this very day. The, okay, so pause. So those who have offered, those who offer to you in an unconditional sacrificial way, Give them 
the divine, give them the incorruptible, give them the age to come, instead of just prioritizing now. Give them the divine uh, response, also the, the, the temporal response. Give them incorruptible uh, gifts and also give them corruptible. Give them heavenly, not just earthly. Give them eternal instead of temporal. Their houses and their business, their, their career, fill them with every good thing. Surround them, O Lord, by the power of your holy angels and archangels. As they, who those who offer, have remembered your holy name on earth, remember them also, O Lord, in your kingdom. And this age now, to, don't leave them behind. This comprehensive prayer, Lord, give them the eternal as well as the temporal. Give them the incorruptible as well as the corruptible. We need to hold both into our hands. It's not just now this. Oh, put it, put it into a structure of a sojourner. Ain't nothing wrong for you to pray for your prayer that you, 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 you so desperately pray to God about God to, to resolve this issue, this pain. There's nothing wrong. But connect that with eternity. Connect that with the incorruptible. Put both together. Both have to go hand in hand. We cannot get stu just stuck at a 1,000-foot level in our prayer. Connect the both together. Jesus will respond to your temporal need. He will respond to your prayer. How and when, that's up to him. But he will. It is our job to come as his children, desiring for him to react. He will. When and how, that's above our comprehension. But I want us to focus, especially this morning, for us to come to him and offer ourselves, offer the little energy you have, offer the pain that you have, offer the insecurity you have, offer the sin that you have, for that to be renewed. And for to us to say, as what St. Augustine said, Lord, I offer I'm coming to you just for the sake of you. I'm coming to you just for the sake of you. You know what's heavy on my heart. You know what breaks me. But I'm coming to you just for you. I'm coming to you desiring for you to respond to my prayer. But I know that it, it, however you do respond is for my edification. It is for my salvation. The details, I don't know. But I know you will respond. Because you love me. You accept me. You embrace me for the good and the bad that's within me. And everything that is within me, I offer to you. Give me the corruptible, the temporary, but more importantly, the eternal nourishment. To him be all the glory forever and ever. Amen. Blessed are